This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. TL Talk Radio, Season 7, Episode 23. Welcome to Season 7, Episode 23 of TL Talk Radio. I'm Lynn Cuny-Hatton. And I'm Randy Ziegenfuss. Today, we're speaking with Lindsay Jones, a return guest from earlier this season. And she is president and CEO of NCLD, a national nonprofit organization that seeks to improve the lives of the one in five individuals with learning disabilities and attention issues. Lindsay's been with NCLD for over five years and previously served as Vice President, Chief Policy and Advocacy Officer. In that role, she designed and implemented legislative strategy in D.C. aimed at advancing government policies that support the success of individuals with learning and attention issues in schools, at work, and in life. And like we said earlier, you may have heard uh, Lindsay previously on TL Talk Radio, Episode 7 of this season. So thanks so much for joining us again, Lindsay. We're looking forward to continuing the conversation. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Great. So let's uh, dig a little deeper um, after our last conversation. I remember at the end of the conversation, we uncovered this um, graphic that you, infographic that you created, and we wanted to have some more conversation about that. So let's talk first about some examples of learning disabilities and other difficulties that affect learning and behavior for our listeners. Sure. So, um, Learning disabilities are a really varied group of brain-based learning and attention issues. These impact uh, the areas of the brain that manage reading, writing, processing, thinking, um, attention, executive function, and um, also some fine motor, whole bunch of areas that are brain-based but invisible in most cases. They're also... Uh, individuals with learning disabilities and attention issues with these brain-based issues are the largest part of the population of individuals with disabilities. So for example, in our public schools, they will most typically fall into the category specific learning disability under IDEA or other health impaired under IDEA. And they'll be the largest group of students being served in our schools who have disabilities. And finally, after years of advocacy, which I think we talked about on the on the last podcast as well, um, most of our students with disabilities are spending most of their school days, not now, not this year, well, still now, but we're all in a weird place now because of COVID, but they're spending most of their day in general education classrooms. So they're receiving services and supports. Maybe they're special ed teachers just consulting with the gen ed teacher. Maybe they're receiving some supports in the classroom. Maybe sometimes they're being pulled up, but those numbers are for, they're, they're leaving the classroom and lower and lower amounts 
more and more inclusive instruction. And of all students with disabilities, those with learning disabilities, attention issues are served almost 100% of their day in the gen ed classroom. Something really different um, and putting really different pressures on our system and demands on our system than had been the case um, certainly before IDEA was passed, but even 10 years ago. So really changing over time. So it's interesting that you say um, that these learners are um, have additional needs and demands are increased on learning organizations to meet those needs. Um, and you offer some strategies for families and schools, and you know we can continue to talk about some of those ideas. What do you see as sort of the biggest um, challenge for schools as they work to meet these demands? I think one of the biggest challenges for schools is the rigidity of the school schedule. I think that schools, for a whole host of reasons, very good reasons in many cases, but I think the school schedule is from days before there was such a broad and diverse group of students, excuse me, being served. And it's not allowing our educators to be as flexible as they need to be. Um, It's not allowing them to deliver services and to get the right specialists into the rooms at the right time. So I think the first barrier, honestly, is the school schedule Mm. and the limitation it puts on professionals. The second barrier is um, the refusal of our higher education institutions, our teacher training institutions, to accept that the teachers they're preparing today are not going into the classroom of 1985. I think our teacher colleges are way out of step. Not all of them, there are some that are terrific, but in large part, I don't think they're preparing general educators well. I don't think they're preparing in special educators as well as they could be. And we should be demanding more innovation from them to be more responsive like to what, I think if they were to call in a series of principles principals would have a much different set of skills they need from their teacher candidates. And I think our licensure systems in our states are also out of date. They're not incentivizing renewal of, of teacher licenses that pushes toward the system they are now working in. They're not providing, uh, incentivizing states and even districts to provide the type of ongoing professional development that teachers need to be teaching the diverse students in front of them. So those are just three things that I would point out. I could probably talk about some others as well. But So let's take that idea of barriers and and look at the uh, snapshot infographic. And you've got a section in there on barriers to success, which I think presents some really interesting uh, pieces of data and some statistics about uh, assumptions, I think, that many of us have uh, around uh, the barriers to, to successful learning. Uh, can you talk a little bit about uh, some of those barriers that are articulated in that infographic? One of the reasons I love this snapshot is because one of the hardest things about the many types of learning disabilities and the many ways those manifest in our learners is that it's hard to kind of get your hands around. 
um, the problem. And so the purpose of this is to say, wait a minute, this is all, there's disparate data and disparate spots, but this is one problem. And one major part of the problem you see in these six barriers to success. And what that is, is when children are not identified early, when children are not provided services um, as soon as they need them, then a cycle starts to form in their lives that we can see. And the beginning of it is because the disability is invisible, often our educators, well, because the disability is invisible and because child development isn't perfectly linear, right? It's jagged. It's hard to identify or determine a learning or attention issue early. But for those who have it, often what happens is the first reaction is, well, you're lazy. You're not trying hard enough. You're not, you're not paying attention. You need, it, it goes right on to the student in some cases. And we start to see a cycle that is in these barriers to success where they become disengaged in school because maybe they say, you just didn't work hard enough last year, so repeat the grade. We'll give you the same information over, not in a different way, just the same stuff over again. And this year, you'll know, well, geez, I want to be with my, my friends. I don't want to be embarrassed and have, have the stigma of having repeated a grade. Instead of that working, it has the opposite effect in most cases, and they become disengaged and they start to feel like, what's wrong with me? And shame comes and takes over, right? So then they act out in different ways divert attention or because they're angry or because they're sad and we get a big problem with school discipline, the second barrier, where in too few cases does a teen look at a child and say, why did this incident happen? They skip immediately to how do we punish the kid for the incident? How do we you know, go follow the discipline code? And we again, the sort of cycle of shame and stigma keeps going. And in fact, then they become in the third barrier to success is forget school, I'm dropping out. And we have a dropout rate that's not causal to the disability, but causal to the sort of the impact of all of these shame inducing um, moments in this child's life. And then they certainly don't finish college. If they get into college, um, there are issues with if they make it in some other way and they do go into college, they don't get the accommodations they need. Colleges are it's even harder to get a professor, a faculty member in any program to have some understanding of a learning or attention issue. And so likewise, with just, they are involved in the justice system at incredibly high numbers. Again, nothing about the disability should cause involvement with the justice system. So what's really the cause here is this very early on, never understanding my brain works differently. This is how I view, this is how I understand the world. And these are the interventions that can help me. And in fact, we know that because in cases where that happens, individuals with learning disabilities and attention issues can achieve and do achieve great success. So that's where we really see this barriers to success that are ones we can change. They're systematic barriers. It's not easy to change them, but the point of this is to call them out and not have it be, well, one day I'm reading a report and thinking about school discipline and, you know, and yes, they address some things about learning disabilities in there. But yesterday I read a report about juvenile justice and not kind of bring them together and saying, wait a minute, there's a common story here that we see. Mm -hmm. So that's why we focus on these, try to bring together the story here with these barriers. to So let's shift over to ways that um, some of the ways might be pretty 
obvious, right? Like be intentional, be thoughtful, look at our own practice um, before necessarily moving to the child is lazy, as you've described, that does occur in some cases. Um, and your organization within this graphic shares some ways to help. So let's talk about some of those ways. And how about if we talk, start with teachers first? Sure. Absolutely. I'd love to start with teachers and then um, bring up a great new tool that we've just released um, for parents, uh, actually. Sounds but, good. So I, I think whether it's teacher or parent, um, it's really important to understand that one in five individuals have a learning or attention issue. And once you think of it in those terms, then as a professional, you can, I think you can say, then I'm looking at a class of 25 students. And so there's gonna be some kids in here who haven't been diagnosed, who probably have this. Not for sure, right? But it's a different orientation of looking at your, your classroom than um, you had before probably. So I think really it's just about awareness and it's about questioning when certain thing, when you're seeing some behaviors that come out, not every kid who, who demonstrates those behaviors, of course, has a disability, but it's a question to ask, maybe, is the kid engaged? Like I see the behavior, are there other types of behaviors that I'm also seeing that when I put them together into one picture, I now see, oh, maybe I need to look into this a little bit more. That to me is the most critical thing our, our teachers can do if they can make that one mindset change. And just every day, walk into your classroom knowing in that room are children who won't have physical disabilities, but they are likely to have uh, dis learning disabilities, invisible disabilities. Making sure that that's part of your own internal processing as you're examining a learner in all the parts, it's like we can't separate behavior from learning, right? It's all, they're all one whole child approach. I think that first thing that if educators can be aware that this might be something that's on the table, that would be a huge change actually, because our educators have a lot of resources, have a lot of knowledge, but sometimes they just never get to that question because they're overwhelmed, they're busy, it's not on their checklist, um, and, and we do need to start there. So you mentioned earlier parents, uh, and you do you do include them uh, in terms of empowering parents on the on the infographic. And you said you had something that you wanted to share. So talk to us a little bit about how do we empower parents. One of the things that's come up repeatedly this year at our organization is we have so many parents watching their children learning on Zoom at home or learning on whatever they're learning at home because their school's closed for some period of time or remain closed and then remote learning, that we've started to have a lot of parents ask us questions about, is, should I be seeing this? Should my child learn in this way? And in many cases, yes, right? Learning is de developmental is not linear. And you know, it's not something that they need to look further into, but we developed the LD checklist, recognize and respond to help parents make some sense of the information of what they're seeing in their child and in their child's responses. Um, and actually we wrote this checklist in 1990. It used to be a wow. paper. It's now fully online. Hmm. <laughs> it used to be a paper checklist and we wanted to put it in pediatricians offices and hand it out in places where people might have questions they were bringing up about their child. This year we were, we were uh, excited to get some support from foundations to put this online and it's not a tool that diagnoses a learning disability. 
but it's a tool where you might be a parent or a caregiver and say, I wonder, my student does these things. And it kind of helps get you to organize your thoughts and give you some information about what you might be seeing. And then it leads you to places where you could get more information and take some next steps to help your child. Because truly, there's so little known right now about invisible disabilities. We need everybody, parents, educators, community members, um, everybody. We need to raise the awareness of these issues for all of, in all of those places to try to attack the problem and help the kids. How do we all need to work together to better support our learners knowing that one in five learners in our classrooms um, have either a visible or invisible disability? Well, I, I think it goes to the intentionality of, um, actually, I think it goes to the, our whole system has to accept these learners are in our schools. We have now, due to federal mandates and parent, parents really pushing, educators pushing, we really serve them in every classroom. So I really think it starts with just for our educators and our school systems, our principals, our superintendents understanding these students are in every single classroom. They're not just in the classroom down the hall, right? You cannot separate them and create a whole siloed program around them. You will never reach the goals you want even for your program if you do that. And we won't serve these students and, and um, unleash their potential in the ways that we need to. So I really think the first thing is about awareness. It's about awareness and acceptance. Um, your schools are different. These children are in there. We can do a ton to help them. And in fact, when you teach to students who have invisible disabilities or learning disabilities, the techniques that your teachers are using are going to help every learner in that classroom because development isn't linear. Because at certain points, even if you don't have a disability, you become stuck in different areas. We all have gotten stuck. And basically, the great special ed interventions, if you know them, you can use some of them to help children move beyond and understand in different ways. So ultimately, I really think if school districts can change their orientation to under, to thinking, looking at their classrooms and seeing how much more richly diverse they are, they're not, it's not two teachers at the front, one who says, well, those four students are special ed. So Betty, those are your kids. I'm going to worry about the other 20. It's like, if they can see, <laughs> like all of them are our students, you know, it's a hundred percent. That is a huge step forward. I think for parents, getting them information so that they are questioning. And then once they're questioning, they're already questioning in some cases, right? But then they can actually come to the school with some organized thinking about what it is and feel empowered and say, I've, I've looked into it a little bit. I'm seeing these things. And they're, you know, the educators are experts and can say, oh, I'm also seeing them. Or, you know, they can provide some, that can help lift up some of those issues too that could get lost or that they hadn't focused on as much. They maybe noticed, but not moved on. So I really think trying to make sure we eliminate stigma around this will only happen if we raise awareness to how prevalent it is and that we can um, change these systems. It's going to take parents and educators working together to do that. Thank you so much. Um, and thanks so much again for being here with us today, Lindsay. For our listeners to learn more about Lindsay's work, we've linked some of those resources in the show notes, including the infographic and the checklist for parents. 
So I understand your organization also has some scholarships for uh, learners with learning disabilities um, or invisible disabilities. Talk to us a little bit more about those. Yeah, we, so one of the things we've seen is, and one of the things we're pushing for is that with more awareness for children with learning disabilities, there are more opportunities open to them after they graduate from high school. And so we've got a scholarship program. It's for um, individuals with learning disabilities and attention issues who will attend either a community college or a four-year college. And we'd love to be able to have anybody you know, if you know an incredible uh, senior this year who is uh, has a learning disability, is looking at those types of options. These are would provide support for the for uh, during that whole time, and we'd love to have them apply. Um, I would also say they close in April. So you have plenty of time. We know that, of course, college is really expensive. And it's also, uh, it takes a while to kind of go through the process to apply. So hopefully April gives uh, people enough time to be able to fill it out. And we'd love to share that and spread the word. Excellent. We'll drop that link in the show notes as well. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today, Lindsay. We enjoyed the conversation, appreciate the follow-up to our previous episode, season seven, episode seven. And in the show notes, we've linked the snapshot and the disability checklist uh, for parents, as well as uh, the organization and the scholarship information. Each episode, we leave you with a question to think about with the idea of provoking reflection and conversation. This episode's question, how might we continue to support learners with disabilities in our organizations? If you've enjoyed this episode, would like to comment or check out the resources shared today, visit the show notes at tltalkradio.org and look for season seven, episode 23. That's all for this episode. We'll be back next week with another conversation featuring other innovative thought leaders. Thanks again, Lindsay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.